Welcome back to another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women from history that you should know about. I'm Lucy. I'm Talissa. And I'm Erin. Yeah. And we're recording remotely. If you can't tell from that awkward pause at the beginning there, how are you guys going today? <laughs> 10 out of 10. Couldn't be better. Happy to be here. Love technology. <laughs> how are you guys? What's new? Mm, yeah. March is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just discussing this so much on International Women's Day. Uh, yes. History Month, new recording devices, which are proving joyful. But we're going to get it through it because we're fierce females and that's what we do. Okay, so this week, it's a bit of a bummer because I always come to the table with stories that are a bit of a bummer. You've yeah. had some heavy ones. That's true. Yes. Irina Sandler definitely comes to mind. Well, yeah. I'm sticking to my theme here, and um, but Depression. a fierce female nonetheless. <laughs> okay, so I am going to be covering the story of Indian woman Nirja Banot, who is the flight attendant who helped save over 300 lives during a hijacking incident. So on September 5, 1986, Pan Am Flight 73 from Mumbai, India, set off for New York in the U.S. with scheduled, scheduled stopovers in Karachi, Pakistan and Frankfurt, Germany. There were 394 passengers and nine infants on board, an American flight crew and 13 Indian flight attendants, including 22-year-old Nirja Banot. 22. Baby. Mm. Nirja was the Persa or like kind of like the senior chief flight attendant on the board. senior, she's 22. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, a bit later on. But among those passengers, there were many different nationalities, as you can imagine, with all those different stops on the journey, yeah. including Indians, Germans, Americans and Pakistanis. There were also, I think, about four Australians on board. Okay. We go um, everywhere. You'll find us on any flight around the world. There'll be a random Australian there. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> everything, even though everything's so far away from us, we'll 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 go. We'll get there. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So the flight made its first stop at Jinnah International Airport in Karachi, Pakistan. It was four thirty a.m. in the morning. Upon landing, a total of one hundred and nine passengers disembarked at Karachi. The first busload of fresh passengers from Karachi had barely reached the aircraft standing on the tarmac when four men violently approached the aircraft. Two of the men were dressed in the sky blue uniforms that the Pakistan airport security guards wore. They drove up to the aircraft in a van before rushing up the ramp armed with guns that they were shooting into the air. The other two men also made way for the stationed aircraft. One of them was dressed in Pakistani shalwar kameez, which is the traditional combination dress worn mostly by women, some regions by men in South Asia and Central Asia. He was carrying a briefcase full of grenades. Oh, Sadly, two Kuwait airline staff members who were working on a nearby plane were killed in the gunfire. Jeez. Yeah, heavy, heavy start. The four hijackers were armed with assault rifles, pistols, grenades and plastic explosive belts. It was later discovered that the way they broke into the airport was by driving a van that had been modified to look like an airport security vehicle through a security checkpoint up to one of the boarding stairways to Pan Am Flight 73. Now, this is the 80s. A lot has changed 
since the yeah. 80s. I mean, it didn't really take until September 11 for regulations in airports and airport security to actually yeah. change, which is crazy to think. Yeah, because we've only really experienced it post. Like I've never, tra- I never traveled really before. I was like, what, 9 11, I was quite young. Mm. It's hard to imagine how like, like relaxed it would have been before. Exactly. Well, we used to, because dad was a flight attendant and we got to travel a fair bit before it happened. And I remember that he had actually been able to take us up right into the cockpit. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, and have a look at everything because just the idea that someone would use that, I guess, access for evil just wasn't as much of a of a, of a thing. But yeah, you could go right. I don't. Not everyone could go up there, but I think if like you knew someone who worked on the flight or something like that, then you could do it. Mm, yeah, people used to be able to smoke on planes, so it's yeah. like. Crazy. Nightmare. So the men went under the aliases of Mustafa, Farhad, Khalil and Mansour. Once they were all on board the plane, one of the men ordered a flight attendant to close the door, shooting at his feet until he did so. During this commotion, of course, there's still over 100 passengers on board. Oh, sorry, over 300 passengers on board. No, yes, sorry. It gets a bit confusing because, again, this doesn't happen anymore, but people were allowed to get off the plane whilst other people stayed on the plane. Like, that doesn't, wow. that doesn't even happen anymore. That's what's just happened here. That's why there's still so many passengers on board, hundreds of passengers on board and crew, obviously. Okay, so during this commotion, uh, Neoja managed to quickly contact the cockpit. Now, there's some mixed reports. Some say that she was kind of tucked away and she just, her quick thinking, managed to get a message to the cockpit. Others say that she was spotted by one of the hijackers and pulled back but she managed to shout out a message to the to the cockpit and that eventually got through to them but nonetheless quick thinking of Nuja um, she got a message across to the cockpit which was made up of 52 year old American pilot Captain William Allen Bill Kianka 53 year old American co-pilot first officer Conway Tehan Dodge Sr. and 45-year-old American flight engineer John Joseph Ridgway. Mm-hmm. Neerja sent them the hijacking code. That was the message that okay. she said. That's all she Whoa. sent. That's all she got to them. That's all she managed to get to them was the hijacking code. So I'm not sure if she she screamed it out and then eventually they got it or she quickly um, radioed into the cockpit and told them. Either way, the three men heard the code and they were able to quickly escape through a latch in the cockpit. Nija helped save the first three of many lives that day. Ooh. So Can I say something? Controversial. Yes. But, like, they abandoned all those people through a latch. Okay, well, like, li- this is interesting that you say this, but keep listening and you'll understand why those three men escaping was crucial Okay. To the many, many hundreds of others that then managed to escape later on. I was just thinking like a boat, the captain is the last one to leave. That's yes. all I was thinking. Well, Would I run? Absolutely, yes. I would bolt. But yeah. you know. Well, it's interesting that you say that, but we'll go on. But basically after the three men escaped, Nirja then became the captain of the ship, so to speak, because she was she was the captain, the captain sort of flight attendant <laughs> at 22 years old. Oh, so, my God. Speaking of Nuja, let's learn a little bit more about her. We'll go back a bit and learn a bit more about her. Okay, so Nuja Banot was born in Chandigarh, India and brought up in Mumbai. She grew up in a Punjabi Hindu family. 
to her father, Harish, who was a journalist. Love that for him. Cute. And her mother, Rama. Now, Nija also had two older brothers, Akil and Anish. Her father said that when he heard his wife had given birth to her daughter, he was so happy that he thanked them twice. He was like, thank you, thank you. They're like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, no, but like, thank you, thank you. Like, we really wanted a girl. So it's really beautiful. He also said that um, they called her Lardo. That was her nickname. Her dad also said that she was a no-problem child right from the day one, a no-nonsense girl from the get-go. The family moved to Mumbai whilst Nuja was still at school and this is where she was first spotted by a talent scout for a modelling job. Everyone's dream as a a tween. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah, seriously. Didn't happen. But it's like mad. Surprisingly, shocking. I don't know where they were. (laughs) Obviously not in Loftus. (laughs) But also it's mad, strange, stranger danger, like – no totally. Oh, there's some hectic but, vibes. Yeah. But yeah. it's like works my I, I know a girl I went to high school with, she was literally like like on the south coast for a holiday. Someone came up to her family and was like, Hey, we think she's got talent. Anyway, skip forward, she's walking for Victoria Beckham. Dude, hundred percent. At like seventeen. It makes no sense. All the Victoria's Secret models used to be say the same story. Oh, I was just like picking cabbages oh, out of my, my local Romanian market and then <laughs> Like, bitch, what? No. <laughs> Why wasn't I at the market? I was like loitering outside talent agencies, like <laughs> me with my braces. What up? Anyways, <laughs> this is way, way off topic. Okay. So she was spotted. Now, I can confirm that young Nuja was stunning. Um, and I'm going to send you a photo okay. of her. Like, she was absolutely gorgeous. Not only was she a fierce female, but she looked good at it too. Here she is being a total babe. Yeah, stunning. Stunning, absolutely stunning, total natural. So she started doing some modelling in 1985. Oh, actually, sorry, before that she did have an arranged marriage and she moved in with her husband but that marriage began to sort of deteriorate. She was away from her family and obviously culturally without getting too into it, that's not really accepted. You kind of just an arranged marriage is an arranged marriage. You don't really have a choice. But yep. she was like, yep. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, apparently this man was not very wealthy. Anyway, so she ended up going home. He ends up sending a letter basically threatening her to be like, come home and no one will know of this, you know, disgrace of you leaving me or mm. if you don't come home, I'm going to break up with you. And that was like shame yeah that makes me definitely want to come home thank you for your threats it it still is very much sort of a with an arranged marriage in any sort of culture you know you don't really go into an arranged marriage like well if this doesn't work out then I'll just peace out that's not kind of how the vibes are this is me speaking probably super inappropriately without my own I can't really speak for those communities but you know what I'm saying anyways yeah I think that there's there's nuances to it but I do think that yeah generally the idea is that you're, you're there for life yeah, Which is exactly. the same with marriage in, you know, Christianity too. So Yeah, but I was basically mm. just saying that she was very headstrong in saying that and she wasn't happy and she wanted to be back with her family, so she left despite the, you know, quote-unquote shame that came with mm-hmm. doing that. And, and yeah. it sounds like her family was relatively supportive as well in that movement. So I think her father even said that she had lost a lot of weight because, like, she was basically starving because there was oh, no food. No. So it was, it was quite a dire situation. 
1985, now Pan Am, which is this big American airline company, big hotshot international flying, they decided they wanted to have an all-Indian cabin crew to service flights from its Frankfurt to India routes back and forth. So this is when Nirja applied to work for the company. And she was selected to go to Miami, Florida to undergo training. There were nearly 10,000 applications and she easily found a place among the top 80. Amazing. She was so good during her training that this is when she was quickly appointed to the Purser, the chief of flights, Uh even though she was so young. Yeah, yeah. No nonsense behaviour, as as her dad says. Mm. So while she was working as flight attendant, she was also still excelling in her modelling career. She was busy with photo shoots, with really big photographers and filmmakers and just absolutely living the star life. A very glamorous lifestyle that she's leading. Yeah. yeah. Glamorous but very hardworking. Hardworking, um, yeah. If you're combining like long-haul flights and then having to look good the next day, I don't know. That's well, not an extreme even, sport. Not even <laughs> necessarily looking good but like – photo shoots like day day long photo shoots Mm. and her dad actually said that on the Tuesday so September the 2nd 1986 the week of the hijacking Nija returned from a flight from Frankfurt spent all of the next two days full days doing photo shoots with a call time of 9 a.m and not getting home until 8 p.m Jesus he said that on the Thursday she had a light dinner went to sleep after telling her mother to wake her up 90 minutes before the pickup call from Pan Am. Her mum could see how tired she was and was planning to phone Pan Am to get her daughter excused because she'd had a really hard day and was absolutely buggered. Yeah. But a highly duty-conscious Nirja said she would be fine. So off she went to work at 11.15am the next day. That day, of course, as we know, is September 5th, 1986. So we're now back to the hijacking the hijacking okay so after the pilot crew managed to escape with the help of Nirja Nirja took over command as per protocol this protocol involved a series of steps including communicating with the hijackers in a letter written by her father Harish he also said that her smiles even in the deepest of distress won a response She looked after the passengers within permissible limits. Her smiles were taken as an assurance by the passengers and crew members that the worst was over. You know how that saying, if you feel turbulence, you look at the flight attendants' faces? It's part of the manual apparently. I mean, I don't know what your dad says, Lucy. (laughs) Oh, they have to do, every year they have to pass two emergency procedures tests that go for about half a day or sometimes actually maybe a full day so they do go under a lot of of training so I, I don't know about that but I know that the rest they and like full-on um drills you know they've got a drill like shouting the commands and and getting the stuff out and directing um passengers to the life life rafts and that sort of thing they're full-on training which is I mean I think it's good to know that your flight attendants are undergoing that mandatory testing twice a year I feel like they would have to undergo like acting lessons as well to keep their faces like pleasant and calm when you're literally in a metal box in the sky jiggling around like there's definitely a skill there is that part of it uh I don't know about that part of it, I know that you have to be, you have to have the best customer service skills, you know, you have to, because you're dealing with 100%. people at their worst. But I think that's the same with any service job. You know, you learn to to control your emotions and the way that you appear 
in the same way a nurse would, you know. Mm. Yeah, but I don't know this. I'd be like, where's the parachute? I'm done. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and energy. I'll just, I'll just yeet out here. That's fine. So after the pilot crew managed to escape, Nija took over command as per protocol. This protocol involved a series of steps, including communication with the hijackers. In a letter later written by her father, Harish, he said that her smiles, even in deep distress, won a response. She looked after the passengers within permissible limits. Her smiles were taken as an assurance by the passengers and crew members that the worst was over. Within minutes of the hijacking, Mustafa had worked out that the pilot crew had managed to escape. This had interrupted their plans big time. Now, I know that you said earlier to Lisa that you didn't understand how they could have mm. just escaped, but this was yeah. really important because as it was later discovered, the hijackers were planning to have that plane flown to Cyprus to help other terrorists escape. Oh, so there was no shit. one there to fly the plane. Oh, that's smart. Yes. Mm. So this meant. I mean, I mean the people that escaped, not the hijackers. Yeah. I mean the pilots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this okay. meant plan B, negotiating with officials. Okay. So the first and business class passengers were ordered to the back of the plane and passengers at the back of the plane were ordered forward. At around 10 a.m. at this time, Mustafa went looking for an American specifically. The flight attendants were ordered to start collecting passports from all the passengers. Nija secretly told the other flight attendants to hide the passports of the remaining 43 Americans on board. Some were stuffed underneath seats. Others were thrown straight down a rubbish chute. Mustafa soon approached the seat of 29-year-old Rajesh Kumar. Rajesh was an American Indian resident of California who had recently gained American citizenship. Mustafa ordered Kumar to come to the front of the aircraft, to kneel at the front doorway of the aircraft, which was, I think, by this point, the only door that was open, and to face the front of the aircraft with his hands behind his head. Here, Mustafa began negotiating with officials, in particular, Viraf Daroga, who was the head of Pan Am's Pakistan operation. He made demands for a pilot crew to return to the plane within the next 30 minutes so that it could take off to their planned uh, trip to Cyprus. Otherwise, Kumar would be shot. Fuck me. Yeah, because by this point, officials have gathered outside and negotiators and police and the army are being called in and then everybody's on the inside. And when they first boarded the plane, they, that's why they shot at that part, the uh, flight attendant's feet to make sure they closed the doors and only this one was open. Mustafa soon grew impatient and shot Kumar in the head. He then threw his body off the plane and out the door. Jeez. Kumar's body was eventually retrieved from the ramp and taken to an ambulance where he was reportedly still breathing. Tragically, he was pronounced dead, though, on the way to hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. Shortly after this, a British passenger named Michael John Thexton was ordered to kneel at the open door as a new warning to negotiators. Mustafa told the officials that if anyone came near the plane, that he would go on to kill another passenger. Throughout the day's negotiations, the hijackers had identified themselves as being linked to two Palestinians and a Briton jailed in Cyprus for the murder of three Israelis aboard a yacht in Larnaca Harbour in September 1985. The hijackers also demanded that a new crew be sent, including someone who spoke Arabic. 
And then, of course, as we know, that the plane then be flown to Cyprus. The negotiators kept going back and forth with the hijackers and by late afternoons, officials had managed to win a pledge from the hijackers to release women and children if the new crew was provided. But the hijackers also had set a 7pm deadline for the issue to be resolved or they would start killing more passengers. Jeez. The hija- so intense. Yeah. The hijacking continued on into the night and as darkness began to fall on the airport, which, by the way, still continued to function with almost all normal flights throughout the drama. Like like we said earlier, different time, different <laughs> Seems like an interesting time. decision. Yep, but, like, but it's the 80s. People didn't know. Like no one knew. You know what? It'd be at the time of like even the, that media that if they didn't want you to know something, it's a lot easier to keep it quiet without social media exactly. and the internet. Very, very different times. Yeah, I just thought it was wow. really crazy when I read that. Just puts it into perspective. Pakistani officials apparently started to move a force of trained commandos into the airport fuel storage area, which provided cover only several hundred feet from the parked aircraft. This was as it started to get dark. At around 6.30 p.m., negotiators won a reprieve of several hours with a promise that a new Pan Am crew was en route, so they'd managed to buy themselves a bit more time. At this point, the stage was set for the final hours of Flight 073, with critical elements being the generator supplying power for the parked aircraft. The generator would soon begin losing power as it ran short of oil. The hijackers started to become increasingly nervous as the lights and air conditioning began to fail. Passengers later said that they were, it's hard to say, but in their words, the hijackers were relatively nice to the passengers to an extent up until sort of this point. I mean, I guess that they wouldn't have foreseen that the crew would get away. And they would think, do you know what? We've got a plan. We're going to get on this plane. We're going to force them to fly us to Cyprus. Then we're going to break these guys out and we're going to escape. And I don't think you would factor killing anyone into your plans. But no, because they were again, the goal. They were the bargaining chip. Yeah. Right? Like still. Mm, Jesus. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. Who would have known what would have happened? So the hijackers are starting to become more nervous. 7 p.m. is getting closer and the power is starting to go out. Passengers were ordered to gather in the centre section of the plane, and as the lights became dimmer, the hijackers who up to then, like I said, were to be friendly with the passengers, started to push people closer and closer together. Uh, A bit later, shortly after 9pm, when that generator did begin to fail, this is when the hidden commandos started to move in. Either that or the failing power is what led to what happened next. Chaos then erupted in the crowded plane's interior. The gunmen sprayed passengers with bullets and hand grenades reportedly were thrown. Some passengers managed to force open the emergency door in the plane's midsection and began tumbling out of the aircraft to the tarmac on the inflated rubber slides. Nirja, who had been near one of the hijackers when the chaos erupted, jumped to the emergency exit and threw it open. Instead of immediately jumping out, she turned to assist other passengers to safety. Nija was helping and shielding three young children from gunfire when she was spotted by one of the hijackers. He pulled her down by her ponytail and shot her. 
Two of the other flight attendants reportedly went back for Nuja when they realised that she hadn't made it out and that's when they pulled her out and she was still alive at this point but only barely and then shortly after that that's when she succumbed to her injuries and passed away. Mm. So 51 people were killed in the hijacking including Nuja. 120 were injured, 337 survived. Uh, I know I said there were four men on the plane, but there was a fifth accomplice who was also arrested. The five Palestinian men were convicted in Pakistan for their roles in the hijacking and murders and were sentenced to death, but that later changed to life. In Cyprus, an anonymous caller to a Western news agency said that the hijacking was the work of the Libyan Revolutionary Cells, a previously unknown group. So they wanted to be known as this terrorist group. Nija Banot lost her life whilst helping save the lives of over 300 others that day. It was just two days before her 23rd birthday. Wow. Yeah. Really Did um, those three kids that she was shielding, do we know what happened to them? Um, I didn't read anywhere, um, but I have a feeling that they managed to escape. Like I said, like all that sort of chaos part, there was a few different recounts yeah Yeah, um but that was actually from her father he said that and also I'm pretty sure one of the um passengers said the same thing so yeah but she was she that's how she was killed Neeraj's father wrote that she was the young model that set a model for her class the world over he said Neeraj was a very sensitive deeply affectionate and extremely decent person who believed in sharing with her people all her joys but not the jolts. She had well-defined principles and there was little room for compromise in that area. Of the 23 years of her life, she had lived 22 years and 10 months under bracing sunshine. Neuja's Pan Am instructor um, from Miami, Mr. Keith D. Smith, also said that the courageous manner in which she lived was very evident in the courageous manner in which she died. Shielding three small children from danger was a bold, daring and brave act that so dignified Nirja's personality. She was a wonderful human being. Survivor Kishmore Murthy said that Nirja was the first person who could have run away. She was trained and Mm. she knew what was happening. She was at the entrance of the aircraft when the terrorists boarded. She could have escaped like the pilots did, but she didn't do it. That's why she's a fierce female hero in this story. (laughs) After her death in 1987, Nirja became the youngest and first female recipient of the Ashoka Chakra Award, which is India's highest civilian decoration for bravery. So youngest and first female. In 2004, the Indian Postal Service issued a stamp in her honour and the picture that they put on that stamp is the one that I sent you guys a bit earlier. In 2006, she was awarded the Special Courage Award by the US Department of Justice. And there is a film that has been made. It was made in 2016 called Near Jar, but I think in maybe even Australia it's uh, it's called The Flight, like Pan Am Flight 76. And this is kind of relevant. Like it, it had a really strong opening. It collected 1.56 million, uh, I think that's in India, so US $22,000 in foreign theatres, which is a pretty big opening because it is in it's not in English and the film had the highest opening weekend for a female-led film in the US and Middle East in the UK it had a the second highest opening weekend of that year wow. so I think that's pretty wow 
inspirational. Yeah. And like even doing the research, like there was heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff sort of of the hijacking, which of course is an important story as well, but not as much on sort of just her and her bravery. Like there was still lots out there, but Mm. yeah, I think it was really cool to see that personal story. Her story was brought into this format that even Malala Yousafzai went to go and see it and she said it was phenomenal and it was a really important story to have been shared. Today, the Nirja Banot Pan Am Trust continues to do great work in memory of this amazing woman. A child on board the flight, who was aged seven at the time, is now a captain for a major airline and has stated that Bernot has been his inspiration and that he owes every day of his life to her. Wow. And that Aww. is the story of the brave and fierce 22-year-old Nirja Banot. That's amazing. Wow. Right, should we go watch an episode of Bluey now? Because that was really <laughs> I was just thinking, why do so many of our fierce females' stories end in, like, tragedy? <laughs> You know, we've got 50% happy endings, 50% sad endings, but I guess mm. that's what makes them fierce. I think it's important to remember mm. that it was it was a, a bravery. It ended in bravery. Yeah. And like just mm-hmm. like like that passenger said, you know, she could have she could have left. Yeah. She could have escaped so many times, but she didn't. And just so young. And yeah. just so strong-minded and so smart and switched on and Someone else had said that at one point she apparently had put instructions inside a magazine for a passenger that was near one of the emergency exits so that they knew how to open the door when the time wow. came for it. Like little things like that throughout the whole 17-hour ordeal, by the way. I don't think I put that in there, which I meant to. 17 hours the hijacking. Wow, that's a long yeah. time. Yeah, that was a really long time. Yeah. And she stayed like brave and strong throughout the whole thing, which is yeah. just remarkable. Massive legacy. I have, a, I have a question. Yep. Um, you said that she hid the American passports. Why was that? I missed that. Because the hijackers were targeting Americans. Okay. So I that, you said that Sorry, Indian, I made it out of something. The the first man that they murdered mm-hmm. was an Indian American who had just recently become an American citizen. And so within all of that taking place, they made it pretty clear that they were on the hunt for Americans to pretty much mm-hmm. Uh, sickening as this is to say, line them up in a way to be like, all right, well, you know, to get the negotiators to play ball, mm. we're going to, you know. Pick a pretty powerful. target Amer- Exactly. We're going to target yeah. Americans. This is an American mm. airline. The pilots that just escaped were American. Right. So that's why, again, she was switched on and she knew that, that that's what they wanted and she made sure that, that it would, she tried to make it harder for them to find the Americans among the passengers. Yeah. Which is another Smart risky move. Lady. It's another risky move because they could have turned around to her and said, where are the passports? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, yeah, yeah. the whole time it was risky and the fact that, you know, you hear that she did it all with a, with a smile and reassurance and she was going around and so were the other flight attendants, mind you, giving out sandwiches, giving out water, making sure everyone was okay, trying to keep people calm, speaking mm. with these scary, scary, horrific people. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's it's just a crazy story. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Fierce Females of History. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get in touch, you can do that in a couple of ways. One of them is our socials. 
Instagram, Fierce Females Podcast, Facebook, Fierce Females of History or something. And also we've got a new logo at the moment. Ooh. It doesn't look <laughs> subtle changes but effective. You can also get contact us via email, which is history at gmail.com. Or you can strike a pose in your nearest corner, you know, gaze into the sun, wistfully extend your neck, find your light, and we'll walk past. Because we also moonlight as model scouts. I don't know if you, if you knew that. <laughs> we'll pick you up. We'll say, you have talent, my darling, and we'll make you into a star. And then you give us your message that you want to send us. Yeah. <laughs>